Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Wenn ist der nächste Zug nach Genf? I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm not joined by my co-host Simon Maddox this week. And luckily for you, ladies and gentlemen, he's taking a break. So you're left with me. Without Simon blocking my great ideas, I can finally do what I've always wanted and talk about my love of history. So this week, I'll be giving a comprehensive lecture on my favourite German topic, the diesel engine. <clears throat> Wait, who's that? It's me, Future Nick. You know, the one that everyone likes. What do you mean? People like me. No, they don't, Pass Nick. They simply tolerate you. What people really want is the excitement of speaking to someone from the future. Are you really from the future? Yes. Are you sure you're not just me with a cool music in the background? No? Um, shut up. Anyway, I'm here to tell you not to make the same mistake I did. No one wants to hear your history lecture. It actually contributes significantly to the downfall of society. Do yourself a favour and skip it. Okay, so what should I do then? Isn't it obvious? After 30 episodes, it's about time for a clip show. If it's good enough for The Simpsons, it's good enough for us. Or you. Or me. Look, I'm getting confused. Just do a clip show and help prevent the rapid disintegration of all things you love. Seems fair enough. Well, listeners, it seems in order to preserve the world we know and love, I have no choice but to present some of our favourite segments from the last 30 episodes. Some of them you've probably heard before, some of them you maybe you haven't heard before. Settle yourself down and let's go back a few weeks to some of our favourite topics we've discussed. Wait, before we do that, if we're going to the past, does that mean I'm now future Nick? Yes! Finally, I'm the cool one. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoy the show. So move, moving on to our first article... This week it's from theguardian.com and the title is Australian Scientist Gets a Baby Fish to Bust a Move to MC Hammer Classic. Now that's not a headline I was really expecting to read today, but there we go. Uh, you might be asking, of course, why we're talking about Australian scientists, but we'll get to the point as quickly as we can, I'm sure. The story involves uh, research into fish hearing. Yeah, again, you might be wondering why the hell is anyone researching fish hearing? But, you know, science is science. Uh, the, the, the article opens with a quite important question. What, what happens inside the brain of a baby zebrafish when you play MC Hammer's timeless 1990 hip-hop track, You Can't Touch This? So, uh, Simon, are you interested in the how fish hear? I mean, I didn't think I was, but then this headline it grabs <laughs> me immediately, and this is, this is why I rammed it into the, the notes for this article. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, It sounds quite easy, this idea of just playing music to fish, but it transpires that these little zebrafish aren't actually in water uh, they have to set in a sort of viscous jelly where they can still breathe but they can't move because their brains are being scanned by a laser that's really motion sensitive so these zebrafish they're being made to exist in a very very different universe from what they are normally experiencing so these fish are like almost living in some sort of purgatory at the surface it just looks like another one of those articles about a scientist doing something a little bit odd and with no clear end point or conclusion to it but the scientist in charge of the research is is a, a woman called rebecca Paulson, who's also a dj she's been she's yeah she's she's chosen and you can't touch this i wonder why it was you can't touch this i mean it's a classic um so i mean it's got a pretty solid beat and apparently the results show that during the oh 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 moment the fish responded differently uh so they had a a, a different emotional reaction to to the chorus so yeah this song was simple enough for the fish to understand i guess but also has something that was yeah with the variation in beat and speed that allowed them to 
to clock these differences. And and here's how we bring this home to decades from home. <laughs> Thank you, listener, for bearing with uh, with me on this. Um, so I wanted to ask Nick, really, how he felt about uh, music and whether he could pick a German song to test the emotional reactions of these zebrafish. So, Nick, what German song would you pick if you were DJ Zebrafish? I'm glad that you've given me such a funky <laughs> DJ name. Well, I'll tell you now. I'm not going to choose just one song. I've got three songs. The, the songs I've chosen are songs that I heard either towards the end of my time living in the UK, moving to Germany, so they have a resonance and like a deep connection to how I feel about Germany. So the first song I've chosen is, is Sky and Sand by Paul Kalkbrenner. It, it's like really massive. It was a massive song at the time. It was a song that my German housemate played almost on repeat. So whether it's more Stockholm Syndrome or not, I don't know. But I loved, I loved this song. It's very minimalist. It's very euphoric. It's very optimistic as a song. And it's very repetitive, like most electro music. But it's it's really really lovely. I really love it. Yeah, it's it's. It, I think it was number one in Germany. It was just massive. And so when I whenever I think of that period where I was deciding to come to Germany and then eventually moved, I think of Sky and Sand. The second song I've chosen, Skandal im Sperrbezirk by Spider Murphy Gang, which is it's like a beer hall favorite. You know, it's a song that you hear mm-hmm. a lot at. at, at at um, Volksfest, Storfests, a proper. Once it starts, everyone knows the words. And it was a song that I heard in the first months that I lived here, and realised, oh, I've got a lot to learn. There's just a mm-hmm. raft of music. They're not just singing the songs I know are German bands. It's not. They're not singing David Hasselhoff tunes or anything like that. There's <laughs> there's a whole culture, here and it was my, my a real insight into what what was in store for me and it's it's a funny little song it's got a social context behind it it was written in an era where uh, munich was changing essentially it's a song about a sex worker who works outside of the red light district in munich stealing clients from sex workers who work inside the red light district of munich and it's just really it's it's it was a massive song at the time weirdly it was i think it was banned in bavaria and the rest of germany were like yeah this is great we love this song even though it's about munich and honestly when when it comes on at a Volksfest, people are on the tables like after the first bar, they're like up like, and everyone's singing and everyone knows the words mm-hmm. and it's been like my my aim to learn the words to the song and I still just can't, it's so rapid, it's very fast and so it's really hard <laughs> to learn and, and so when I'm able to sing it, you'll know I've become a true German. The final one I'm conflicted because there's actually it's one but two. So there's a band that I came across mm-hmm. maybe a few, few years after I moved uh, called Seed and they're a hip hop group, hip hop collective based in out of Berlin, and they're, they're massive. You know, they they everyone really enjoys their music, and they've got some real like banging songs. One of the most famous being a song called Dickersby, which is about like life in Berlin. One of the lead singers of the band's a guy called Peter Fox. His debut album, uh, which was Stadtaffe, and uh, the there's a couple of 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 massive tracks and, and I remember downloading it and, and listening to it almost daily Alice Noy is, is the first song oh, it's a, such a, it's a banging tune like it's really really good it's a great album it's a really really good album um, Schüttel Dein Speck yeah love, um, is, love that it's got a very special place in my heart mm-hmm. my wife can rap the whole album as well it's pretty dope that, that again that's that's something i was like i really wish i could like because alice noise especially because it's it's got a, a very it's it's a very mm. pacey tune as well it's got this amazing uh sample 
a, a violin sample in the background. Uh, the video's hilarious. It's a really well-made video, and it's got a, a drum band, like a marching mm-hmm. drum band that's uh, from America in the video, and they're all wearing gorilla masks. And it's just, it's visually really intense. Go out and, and, and watch this video. So there's that, but there's also a song called House Amp mm-hmm. Sea, which is like, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful song. And so... I'm sort of challenged by do I choose Seed or do you do I choose Peter Fox? I might just choose both. So they're my they're my three slash four choices that yeah, I've nice. made. How about well, you? I'm, yeah, first of all, I, I, I approve. Sound cool. Yeah, the, the Peter Fox album in particular, like that's got a very special place in my in my heart for like German music. And I think this is sort of one of the issues we face. Like growing up in the UK, you don't really have much exposure no. to German music. It really was Nina and then Rammstein, and I can't really remember much in between. Kraftwerk, obviously, yeah, yeah. Kraftwerk, of, of course. But I mean, yeah, for real, sort of like on the nose German music, mm-hmm. not meant, not much of it made over. Like one of the first songs that I really fell in love with was The Commissar by Falco. Just mm-hmm. absolute classic, like really cool disco beat, funny rap as well. Like it's just Falco's got style. And yeah, big fan uh, of that tune. I think the fish would like it as well. Why do you think particularly the fish would like it? Is there an element? Is there a particularly fishy element to Falco? I just think the like the bass on boom 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 boom. I think yeah, I think that would work. You could register emotion on those two sides. And um, but funnily, obviously Falco is not German. Uh, I was going to get that out before people accuse me of not knowing. He's of course Austrian, uh, and this means that he has quite a thick dialect as well. So in the song Commissar. There is a line, Drei dich nicht um. In Hochdeutsch, it should be like, don't turn around. Drei dich nicht rum. And my wife, who of course is a native German, thought that he was actually saying, da didul dum. Uh, so she couldn't even understand Falco's accent. It's terrifying when you realise, sorry, it's terrifying when you realise that other Germans can't understand this is it. other like, Germans. Yeah, the, and you're like, yeah. what do I do? 500 <laughs> kilometres and like, yeah, don't get what he's saying. Um, so yeah. Kommissar would be up there. And then I thought about Schlager. Like, I don't like Schlager, but it's, as you said, it's something where you realise that you don't have a very good grasp of this part of the culture. And for me, the the one Schlager song that I do have a soft spot for is um, I'm Betting Kornfeld by Jürgen Drews. It's just a classic uh, as far as Schlager goes. And it's not like techno, like modern Schlager. It's a bit more old school. So I quite like that. I did also think about Nina. And I wondered, would there be a difference between the German version and the English version? So that's the next bit of research that I want to see. Uh, Can fish determine the difference? And the final song I picked, um, I thought probably, maybe the most successful German band out there. Maybe they sold more than Rammstein, I don't know. Scorpions. Yeah. Rock Me Like a Hurricane. Like Obviously it's not in German, so it doesn't strictly count. But if the little zebrafish brains don't light up when that song comes on, then we know they have no souls. <laughs> That's the gauge. That's the gauge of, of fish souls is whether they enjoy the scorpions or yeah, not. Here I am. <laughs> Listener, now you know, uh, if you don't like the song Rock Me Like a Hurricane by Scorpions, you have no soul. And that's what Simon <laughs> says, not me. Maybe we'll put a caveat. If you don't feel something when that, when that song plays, you might not have to like it. But if you don't, don't react. <laughs> then you're a soulless husk of a person. <laughs> Lower than a zebrafish. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Okay, we're moving on to our first story this week. We've got a theme this week, which is transport, in particular cars. I'm not a big car guy. I'm going to hopefully get some support from our in-house car expert, Simon. The first article is Trabi's more popular than Tesla's. And this is from berlinerzeitung.de. The Trabi is a, a really is an East German icon. In the last 10 years, this iconic East German car has been registered more than the Tesla on German roads. There are a, a total of 38,173 Trabants are registered in Germany, which contrasts with 34,000 Teslas. So for the first question I guess I'm going to ask our car expert, Simon, is would you like a Trabi? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think <laughs> when I see a Trabi, I'm overcome by this wave of nostalgia of something that I have zero nostalgic connection to. Um, Trabbies were not part of the English car scene whatsoever. There is something really charming about the design of the Trabant. It's a cute looking car compared to a lot of the Eastern Bloc stuff. For me, it represents a sense of fun that, I mean, we hear all the time the stereotype that Germans aren't fun or don't have much of a sense of humour. And the fact that Trabant are so popular shows there is a real sort of lust for life, a real sense of humour. Uh, about this. So yeah, I think it's a fantastic representation of Germany today. Trabant means companion uh, or fellow traveller and was actually inspired by Sputnik, the, the, the Russian satellite, the first satellite. Uh, so with the Trabant, obviously in eastern Germany, things were pretty different in the old DDR. And so it wasn't a case of just going to a shop and buying a car. You had to put your name onto a waiting list. And I mean, this is something that still happens. Tesla have a waiting list. A lot of other car companies, especially for their new uh, e-electric uh, cars, have waiting lists. But the average time, I guess, for a waiting list for a Tesla is one year, maybe less. Uh, a Trabant, you could have waited 18 years to finally get your car. But what this meant was that a used Trabi was actually more expensive than a new Trabi because there was no waiting list. Uh, so you'd pay 30 to 50% as a premium to get your Trabi now. Um, so this idea of the waiting list for the Trabant to take away this idea of exclusivity or being able to buy your way to the front of the queue actually created a really sort of booming black market. People buy Teslas because they're meant to be good for the environment. Is that the case with the Trabi? Uh, not really. I mean, the Trabi was quite innovative in its own way. I mean, it had a steel chassis which is, is pretty old school. And this, of course, was sourced from Russia. So it had Russian steel chassis. Uh, and the body was actually plastic. What? It was made of what they... Yeah, it was called a duroplast, which is a mixture of formica, which we normally think for, like, countertops yeah. in our kitchens is formica, and bakelite, uh, which was used to make old-fashioned telephones. So they put formica and bakelite together and created duroplast, uh, and they added uh, cotton fibres left over from the textile industry. So this was a, a hodgepodge. What materials do we have a lot of? It's like, okay, we've got Formica, we've got Bakelite, and we've got leftover cotton. Okay, let's make basically a cheap fiberglass. Uh, so this was the body was quite light in comparison. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get into a car accident in one of those because it would just shatter, right? Well, I mean, the good news about this, they had safety in mind, and what they did was they made the car very slow, so you couldn't have <laughs> an accident really. Genius. Uh, so, so the naught to sixty miles an hour, the naught to one hundred kilometers an hour is about twenty seconds. I, my first car was a 1984 Polo Mark I, mm -hmm. and that's at 14 seconds. So that's 
decidedly pacey in comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the maximum speed uh, of a Trabi is 70 miles an hour, which is 114 kilometers an hour, if I've got my calculations right. So, I mean, obviously, uh, an accident head on at 70 uh, or 114 kilometers an hour would be disastrous mm-hmm. uh, for everyone involved. The other benefit, of course, because the body is made of a, a plastic co- uh, composite. It's actually really easy to repair and something you could make your own sort right. of patch kit uh, compared to others. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we use we use carbon fiber now in modern cars and it's basically carbon fiber is just sort of the top level of what Duraplast was. Yeah, using fibers with plastics to make a really strong compound. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was quite innovative in a sort of we don't have any raw materials. Uh, so, yeah, pretty cool. The structure gave it an interesting nickname, so people called it the Plastic Bomber uh, or the Saxon Porsche, uh, which I think is really charming. That was my favourite part of your notes. As soon as I read that, I was like, I felt like Saxon Porsche was a kind of, like, was that something that the West Germans would say? I felt like it was a bit of a bit of a tease or a bit of an insult. but It does feel very tongue-in-cheek, uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that have taken ownership of this and now proudly have Saxon Porsche written on the side of their Trabbies. The other thing that was quite unusual about the Trabby, because it's a two-stroke engine, which when I think two-stroke, I think of lawnmowers and scooters. Uh, so this <laughs> yeah. isn't really the kind of engine that you normally deal with. But it also required a sort of understanding of chemistry to a certain degree because there was no fuel hatch on a Trabby. And so you had to like lift the hood and pump gas directly into the tank. Uh, and then you had to add a special oil in the right blend. This then had to be shaken uh, so that then you had the right fuel mixture inside your Trabby. So it is like an old lawnmower that my granddad had so yeah. this isn't something that was That's easy wild. or accessible in any way shape or form so yeah the trabby was a, a wonderful creation out of this era and yeah people love it well i mean okay so you could get spare parts and it sounds like it's fairly easy to maintain but not exactly user friendly as a vehicle the question i sort of come to is why do you think it's so popular is it is it people just reliving their good old days or the simpler life of the DDR? Or is it is it just the fact that it's really easy to maintain? I think the, the mechanical simplicity of it is, is definitely a huge benefit. If you are interested in maintaining a car and, and having a classic car, to, the Germans call them old timers, something with basically zero electrics and simple mechanics is really easy to learn in comparison to... If you try and maintain, let's say, a Mark IV Golf, you suddenly have a lot more to learn about. So I think that simplicity makes them really easy to manage in comparison to other ones. I, I like to tell myself, at least, it's just this idea of fun. It's, it's a fun car to have. It's a, it's a head-turner. There are lots of companies, especially in Berlin, yeah. where they do Trabi tours. So you can get a tour of the city inside of Trabant. This charm, this nostalgia is a big, a big selling point. So I th- I'm sure if we lived in Berlin... Uh, instead of Bavaria, I would have had more connection to this car over the last 10 years. I, you don't see them here, really. You see one every now and again. I de- have developed yeah. more of an affection with like Mantas, because you see more of those around. But yeah, I think anyone who lives in Berlin for a long time, they will develop an affection for this really cute, charming sort of relic that is super east german this is an element of like hipster cool about it though like mm-hmm. uh, and the, the the picture in the article i don't want to to sort of stereotype anyone but the a gentleman taking a, a photo of his friend sitting in a trabant and and they do have the the whiff of a hipster about them 
I'm sure there's acid wash jeans, mm-hmm. nice old school leather jacket, a bit of a fukuhila going on, a bit of a mullet. Boom, you're ready. Is is it the only is it the only Soviet car that's popular? There, I think, as far as I know, in Germany, it's the only Soviet car that is, that has this kind of niche appeal. I'm sure if we go further east in other countries, there will be other cars. I mean, uh, you see a lot of Yugo four by fours here. Those are still going, very reliable, simple four by four that would be cheap to buy now. Uh, in fact, one of my neighbours has one uh, that he's converted into a camper. Uh, it's really cool. But I think, especially coming from, from the UK, we had just a series of jokes about these kinds of cars. It must have happened here as well, that they were sort of something to make fun of. Because if you were from the West, the, the Trabi was something that was kind of laughable in comparison to a, a Beetle, a Kiefer. So it's just a better car in many ways. The the charm of the Trabi, it's the yeah. way it's designed, the look, the round headlights. It's got a, it's got a really distinctive face. And I think a lot of the other Soviet cars didn't focus on that at all in design. It was strong corners built to last as opposed to to bring a smile on your face. It's not something you think of when you think of the old East or the DDR, but the Trabi had that in spades. It made you smile and it still does. Uh, and I'm sure that's why loads of hipsters in Germany are spending a few thousand euros to get one uh, and and restore it. It's wonderful. I think I think again, if it's affordable, it's fairly easy to maintain. There is some complexity to it, as you mentioned about refilling it. But obviously, and this happened over time. Is you see cars like the the new versions of the Beetle. I mean, very sleek and very nice, but they've been super modernised and. Or you think about the Mini, you know. I mean, there's not much Mini about the Mini now. And like when I th- when I saw the the design of that car, I just thought, oh, it's quite like the Mini. Like the mm-hmm. Mini felt like a DIY. My, I remember my dad telling me about his Mini when he was when he was uh, in his twenties, and it was like held together with bits of uh, sticking tape, and he had a string that you had to pull in order to open the door, and but it just kept going, it kept going, it kept going, and it's similarly apparently for these Trabants. There's that like not just the nostalgia, it, it just it, it does feel like it's a it's a nicer vehicle to to motor around in than jumping in sort of a flashy new top of the range Mercedes or something like that I, I don't know how much respect you'd get on the road but first of all if you enjoy engine fumes and getting a little bit high then I think the Trabi is the car for you for sure but if you do have to commute from one town to another I would not want to take it on the autobahn uh, I would not feel safe uh, trying to get to maximum speed just to be slow on the autobahn being raced past by the new BMW M5 would feel terrifying, I think, in a Trabi. I have a feeling if you got overtaken by a Mercedes that it would just disintegrate. <laughs> car would just disintegrate <laughs> as it went past. It's like someone doing a 200 kilometres an hour in a Porsche and your Trabi just, the, the door just pulls off. <laughs> disappears. <laughs> Moving on, there was a time in my life where kebabs served as a sort of badge of honour. I'd somehow survived another night out. Despite the huge amounts of beer and numerous shots, I was still standing and I managed to stumble my way into one of the plethora of open till late kebab houses. It always kind of felt like to a winner goes the spoils. You survived this far, well done, have a kebab. More often than not, the menu was like a blur. Couldn't really read it very well. The price was completely inconsequential. As long as I had a fiver in my wallet, I was going to be all right. A kebab was the target. Participation medal earned. That was just good enough for me. So, I mean, Nick, is this the same story for you? Is this typical British behaviour? I guess it is typical British behavior I didn't I didn't go into the whole like kebab eating after drinking yeah it wasn't it was stuff mm-hmm. that were ate but it wasn't 
it wasn't kebab so uh, chicken pakora was a big one going to the chippy after being on the piss was quite common when we lived in scotland but you get things like deep fried pizza which is just it's graphic just saying those <laughs> those words together it's quite quite a thing but or you'd have like a scotch pie you had like loads of different options that weren't really available it's like always just a straight kebab but yeah um, usually that's what happens in Britain location is a big thing I mean I spent three years as a student uh, in the Welsh city of Cardiff just off St Mary's uh, there is the infamous Chippy Alley uh, Caroline Street uh, is its real name but everyone calls it Chippy Alley and it's the location of all manner of kebab houses fast food joints every night uh, like kicking out time 11 o'clock for the pubs and then like two or three o'clock for the nightclubs the street would just be rammed with drunk patrons fighting their way to the front of the queue to get garlic or chili sauce drenched meat monstrosities and that just went on until the sun rose over the city this <laughs> was just full of people just drunk covered in like sauce and beer and blood and vomit having the night of yeah. their lives i mean many fights started there like many romances started there as well <laughs> uh, all washed away in like cheap beer and nondescript meat products talk about garlic and chili sauce nick what's your uk kebab order you a garlic sauce man a chili you go for the veggies all of it man yeah. like a garlic sauce maybe not i'd probably have just chili sauce yeah everything just get like whatever i can get into this thing i'm gonna eat no problem and how much chili sauce are you asking for a bit or are you oh, like, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for chili sauce like i used to be able to eat like spicy food no problem right and i still can eat it no problem but what I, i've picked up along the way either through age or i don't know psychological damage is as soon as I eat something spicy, I start hiccuping. <laughs> okay. So like, it doesn't matter how spicy it is, it's just like a little bit spicy. And I can eat it, and I can eat it until like the end of time, and my, I'll, I'll enjoy it, but I'll, all the way through I'll be going... Uh, 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 like hiccuping my way through the meal, which is just, it doesn't look good on you. It never <laughs> looks good when you eat something spicy and you start hiccuping. It looks like everyone just thinks you're an idiot, but I'll do it anyway. I'll do it anyway. I think this does point in the direction of quite a poisonous part of like food culture in the UK, where like the hotter the better and so yeah, hot yeah. that it's impossible is a good thing. That's how I was. I'm, now I've aged, I've grown up, I have a wife, I've got cats. And I've spent over a year in lockdown now. What's mostly changed about my relationship with kebabs is that now I eat kebabs exclusively for lunch. My, my. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Kebabs for lunch. Who'd have thunk it? Like madness. Like I don't even think kebab houses are open for lunch in the UK. There's no need for this like drunken stupor. There's no need for blurry eyes. No need for bouncers on the door controlling the crowd. Kebabs for lunch. It's magnificent. Is there any downside to kebabs for lunch? I'm not allowed onions. I know that. Yeah. So yeah. Obviously, it's it's not it's not great if you're gonna be standing next to anyone for any length of time, or or it's in lockdown with another person in close proximity. So yeah, no onions. It's something that's it speaks to how good the uh, kebabs are here that you get you can eat one for lunch you want to have one we walk past our kebab shop all the time and the smell of it is it's very enticing but eat one of those every day is probably not recommended because they are pretty pretty full on but yeah i can't see any downsides to kebabs for lunch there is a difference between the the english kebab and, and the german kebab that's for sure here in germany the standard like thin anemic pita bread used in the uk is switched out for like a toasted fladenbrot like a flatbread or a durum wrap um, which is like a, a Turkish tortilla. Now, the durum wrap, you are going to have to pony up the surcharge. I think most places about 20 cents, 30 cents extra. Uh, so, Nick, are you flash enough 
for the surcharge. Are you going to be paying that extra? Well, you talked about eating food on the move and sandwiches on the move, and I think if you're gonna if you're gonna be carrying your kebab anywhere, then a Durham wrap is the obvious thing to do, and they're very well contained, I find. And they wrap them in a nice tin foil like wrapper, and it's all very it's all very cool. Like it's a good transportable food. So there you have it. Nick is fancy paying for the Durham surcharge. What can I say? I, I like the I like the finer things in life. Another difference is the chili sauce, which we've already spoken about. Here, it's like it's designed to taste good. Uh, as opposed to like overwhelm or annihilate all taste receptors. Uh, salad, as we said, is, is an institution here and it's an integral part of the content. Mm-hmm. Gone is this like mound of meat garnished with like a single slice of tomato, a ring of red onion and a leaf of limp lettuce. Here it's all very fresh, beautiful looking, flavoursome. But you go, to, you go to British kebab places uh, that I used to go to and I'm, I'm sure they've improved. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. I hope they've improved and you get a picture of what the kebab was meant to look like and it looked amazing <laughs> it looked like the things you get here and then what you'd actually get is this other thing and it was it was never it never sort of married together for me but here you they don't even have pictures you just know what you're going to get they're just like do you want this thing that you know is going to be amazing look there's a guy over there eating one look at it it's amazing <laughs> you're like, oh yes <laughs> i mean germans seem to acknowledge that like salad is mm-hmm. good for you and you're going to bloody well eat it I think that's a really positive thing that the UK could definitely introduce. It's with a lunchtime kebab that you can like appreciate how far you've come in your salad game. 19-year-old me at uni would never have ordered a kebab with salad. Like I would have been sauce and meat only. I, I was a bloody heathen. But now I'm a real bloody adult and I embrace the diversity of my <laughs> mouthfeel and like, the added nutrition that it grants me in my kebab. It's winning all around. If that's not personal <laughs> development, I'm not sure what is. We were talking about transportable food. Like The only food you're going to see people walking around with is a kebab. And I think it is because it's wrapped up in the durum and it's really easy to eat on the move. But there is, there is one rule, right, Simon, to eating and transporting your kebab. What is that rule that you must follow very strictly you don't eat it on public transport <laughs> right do not eat it on like public transport often it's horrendous obviously corona has put pretty much an end to this but the amount of times you'd get on like a bus or the underground and there'd be some teenager eating a kebab the smell of kebab is wonderful like it's, it's a glorious thing but it is it's obnoxious at like eight in the morning on the way to the office that's how far the culture i mean people eating for bloody breakfast here never mind lunch it's a bit disrespectful it is quite an an aggressive <laughs> aroma to put out compared to any other sandwich. And even if you don't get garlic sauce or anything on it, if it's just the meat, even the meat is quite it's quite pungent. It's got a very specific smell to it, and it's really nice to have when you're gonna eat it. But if someone is eating it, it doesn't smell quite as wonderful, you know. Or you're in close confines with someone eating one, it's never never so good. Yeah, I don't know how we're gonna change things in the UK. How we're gonna get them to move away from having kebabs after drinking many, many, many different alcoholic beverages. What can we do to get to get British people to embrace the kebabs for lunch philosophy? Hang on. Where's that music coming from? I say to the good people of the UK, petition your local councils, like write to your MP, rally your local small businesses and engage with your community. Kebabs for lunch. That seems sensible. Should I start a GoFundMe? See the light. Open yourself up to a new reality, a new possibility. Kebabs for lunch. Wait, is this a cult? It's beginning to sound a lot like a cult. Kebabs sober kebabs we can remember kebabs for lunch and to our german listeners or those based in germany to you i say go out into the world corona rules permitting 
and go find your dream kebab. Kebabs for lunch. But what if my dream kebab is actually a falafel? Enjoy this magical treat that is on your very doorstep. Kebabs for lunch. Test your local joints. Test Durham versus Flavenbrook. Kebabs for lunch. Embrace the surcharge. Eat a kebab with only meat and chili sauce. Ke actually, no, don't do that one. Otherwise, live. Live as hard as you bloody can. Kebabs for lunch. Should I call Merkel? I'm calling Merkel. I'm on hold. I think she's a bit busy at the moment. Kebabs for lunch. Fine, fine, fine. I'll wait. Simon may have met his wife here, but we both managed to avoid the trials and tribulations of online dating websites and the advent of dating apps. Luckily for us, we have some help on hand to guide us through the terrors and pitfalls of not only dating apps, but specifically dating in Germany. I'm really happy to welcome one of our first guests to the show, not including the occasional outbursts from my infant daughter in the background of the last few podcasts, Delini Algamar. When she's not learning Dutch in her spare time, Dilly is also one of 40percentgerman.com's guest contributors, most recently with an article on the trials of German online dating, which I think you'll all agree, listeners, is rather fortunate for us. So, welcome, Dilly. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for asking me to be here. Not a problem. I'm really happy that you had time to join us. So, let's get started with the first question. We were talking about first date recommendations, so we thought that would be a good place to, to, to begin with. Yeah. What's your recommendation for the best like first date? Like, Where would you go? I would say it depends on the personalities. Simply because um, I don't have much experience meeting strangers for dates. My mm -hmm. choice was uh, mm -hmm. um, I reserved a table at a local restaurant that I'm very familiar with. Mm -hmm. So that was my choice. I think for um, there were a few weeks where I had very regular first dates there. And um, the restaurant owner mm -hmm. was, um, I mean, at some point he just started raising eyebrows. Um, but it was very <laughs> common. <laughs> <laughs> you again she is getting to a lot of people <laughs> but, it, but it's, that's, that kind of makes sense right it's like environment you know you know the owner recognizes you there's like safety in that when it comes to first dates i get that that makes sense so a restaurant would be the preference to me yeah that was a preference i'd also ask people like they were coming over to my town then i would ask people what they'd like to mm -hmm. eat and you know what sort of place they'd like to go to it turned out mm -hmm. uh, that some people really liked forests and walking so we'd have lunch and then go on a walk just walk around chatting maybe grab an ice cream somewhere um mm. it really depends there are cycling dates they're pretty popular cycling dates right okay i don't know how they get i mean mm. i didn't do that mm. it got cancelled i mean the cycling mm. got cancelled not the date but i also wondered mm. i mean how how people would really talk on their bicycles and navigate the traffic <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. me though it's a it's it's also an aspect of cop kino and, and watching too many creamies i think because i keep think i kept thinking that so one thing we do mm -hmm. is um, i think my uh, german friends who would also like dated in their lives have done this so when you go on a date, particularly an online one, you take a screenshot of the person that you're going to meet with, with their name and number, and uh, maybe mm -hmm. even the photo, and you send it along to a friend and say, so, okay, so I'm going to meet him at five and I'll let you know when I'm back. Yeah, of course. That, that makes sense. And I added the layer of the neighborhood restaurant uh, security to it. 
so that if need be, people would say, yes, you know, this is where she ate last, you know, the poor woman. But yeah, there you go. I mean, it's one of the things that we touched on slightly was like, it's two middle class blokes who are both married and we've neither, neither of us are particularly proficient at dating in any level. Like we didn't, when we obviously don't have to think about those things. Like as guys, it's not something that we, if we, if we went on a date and then said, oh, I need to take a photo of you before, before we'd probably not have a date anymore. So like it is a different, a very different experience. But one of the things Simon was saying was very common in the UK is to have like original dates. So like going to like an escape room or doing something that was an event, not just going to cinema or going for dinner. Is that something that you think you'd see in Germany maybe? Is that something that people would do? Or is it is it just the standard dinner and a movie or like you said, cycling or walking or something like that? You also have a guest who's pretty much dated mainly during Corona. So mm -hmm. people do talk about uh, uh, going, you know, singing karaoke, for example. And that mm -hmm. was to me not an option. COVID, I didn't really want to like spit into a mic that had been spat in oh. 250 times before. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So my options were rather limited. And I mean, apart mm. from the restaurant, I wouldn't have gone indoors or like to the movies. I mean, but I don't know. Um, mm. That really does sound original, what you just said. Paintball. I mean, why not Paintball. shoot at people the first time you meet them, you know? Uh, why not? Yeah. <laughs> it's a pleasure good. to meet you. Now I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, that seems, <laughs> seems totally, totally fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, one of the things Simon pointed out was that in the UK, it's quite common for people to go on like multiple dates and meet like, more than one person, maybe in a week or so. Whereas in Germany, dating is maybe considered more monogamous but from your answer before i'm guessing that it's like it's quite normal for people to go on like multiple dates i mean is that is that something that you know from your friend's experience or your experience is that quite kind of the style is like you set up a few dates so you get to know some people like more than one person or i'm so glad you asked this question because even i couldn't navigate this to me i mean personally i i i, I couldn't handle uh, going out on like four dates with four people over a few mm. weeks because I mean we are different people I mean different people bring out different aspects of us and oh, I, okay. I really couldn't figure it out because um, I'm more of a I'll, I'll meet one person and maybe go on a second date or not and if not mm. then I might talk to other people but if I do end up going on a second date or a third date with one person it would feel weird to me to be writing to also other people at the same time um, mm -hmm. and knowing mm -hmm. that everyone's in this uh, romantic game sort of thing knowing yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm probably not the only person that he's writing to and I yeah. did have a couple of dates where I didn't really know what the other person's move was whether they talk to multiple people at the same time yeah. And uh, I think people hit the jackpot eventually when they meet someone <laughs> like-minded. So if both people don't yeah. mind talking to multiple people, then that's fine. Yeah. I'm not entirely comfortable with that. Well, like, I'm British, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring it up. I just wouldn't bring it up. I wouldn't be like, oh, by the way. Like, you're the sixth date I've had this week. Like that would be that would be just terrifying. Like 
the more I talked about dating with Simon, like I'm more anxious I got just thinking about the stress of, of dating in general. And one of the things I was thinking about is Germany's obviously a country that's known for its honesty and its directness. Dating in Germany more honest or rather too honest, perhaps? The one thing with the online dating experience that I had was that the people that I met were usually from a, like various backgrounds, like professionally speaking, mm. they were not all linguists for once. That was nice. Mm -hmm. And they were also not all German. And so I also got to meet people who were not German, mm -hmm. who also had migrant experiences here in Germany. Oh, right, I yeah, can tell yeah. you, like, for instance, like there are the Italians or the Italians that I met, for instance. And, you know, oh, the German food. No, no, no. And, and, and you get to and you get to hear <laughs> the other migrants complaining about Germany for quite a good bit. That yeah. was a good that was a good experience. It's a good bonding exercise, right? Yeah, like. What do you, what do you not like about living here? <laughs> um, our, our, like the other question I had was like, are German dates super punctual? Like that's our assumption was like they did start like meet at, meet at nine, you're on time, yeah. Actually, time wise, most of my dates have been very punctual, and I haven't had. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Germans have been punctual, the non-Germans have been punctual. I haven't really had much trouble there. There was one very memorable date with an with an Italian guy. Uh, he kept calling every half hour to say he was getting later and he did turn up and he was very sorry and uh, his excuse was that he's Italian. Nah, it's not gonna, that doesn't, that doesn't fly, right? That doesn't fly at all. I'm South Asian. <laughs> if I can be on time, you can be on time. Yeah, too, right? Oh, man. That's the worst way to start a date. Like, or you just give up. Like, once you're like an hour late, you just go, oh, I guess this isn't happening. This isn't. <laughs> This isn't going to go well. I made a lot of assumptions. I guess I'm stereotyping Germans too much, maybe. I don't know. Okay, moving on. In the article on the site that you wrote for us, you talked about being unnerved when you had to message potential partners on a dating app, which I totally understand. One of my favourite parts being the guy who sent you the comprehensive list of his 20 best characteristics, one of which was teamwork, which, like, chef's kiss. It was beautiful. Like, I loved that. Do you consider that flirting, right? How, what's German flirting like? Is it is it good? Because we have never flirted in German. I've only ever flirted in English, so I have no idea. I, I don't know if they produced it. Maybe I could grade it. <laughs> That's the answer then, isn't it? <laughs> this is a conversation I have with a lot of friends, um, like who are American, even the Germans. Uh, my friends who are migrants mm. here from other countries, they, I mean, one thing we talk about is that um, the banter aspect, you build up on something and there is the back and forth, the tennis ball kind of thing. We don't really find that. Mm. I mean, our German friends or the guys we've mm. known have also had, uh, I mean, they, were, they, were, they have a nice sense of humor, but with flirting, I mean, the bar is... Mm. is, is 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 not that high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's something I've heard from other people. Is like there's a there's a sort of coldness, and I th I think that's unfair. It's very I'm being very ethnocentric in that sense because obviously in Britain humour is a massive part of communication just in general. Like we're always trying to crack a joke, and we're always desperate to to be informal as possible and uh, to build almost like a fake relationship in as quick a time as possible. Whereas Germans are a bit more considered, I guess, or maybe they're a bit more uh, careful about the who they build their friendships with or relationships with. If I I think like even my sense of humor might 
not be seen as a very good sense of humor in Germany in my experience because i remember a friend we met up and he never wears sandals and he was wearing sandals that day and i remember going oh look at your look at your toes getting some sun think anyone found that funny and i thought it was hilarious because he never wears sandals and i don't mean and i think that that borders on the rude here yeah i don't know yeah it seems like one of those things that you would just be like you'd comment on it because I'm desperate to fill the air with noise. Like, silence is always sort of a sign that things aren't going so well. I would have done something like that and then inevitably have caused, like, an international incident. So I totally understand what you mean. Don't mention German people's toes. That's I'll remember, I'll remember that for next time. Do not call <laughs> it bloodless. So you talk in your article about finding many profiles from German men on dating apps that have basically the same style, similar photos often like the same inspirational quote. Do you think German blokes are a bit unoriginal? Actually, see, here I'd be a little bit generous, I would say. Like, I got to see only the guys' guys' profiles. And mm. maybe, like, all the, all the women had similar profiles if you're on the other side of the mm. bank, uh, you know. The profiles mm. tended to be very similar. The posers in the photographs and mm. people posing next, next to expensive cars. I do still mm. want to be generous and say, you know, it's online dating. I mean, no one's written the textbook yet. And maybe people mm. are just trying to navigate, uh, trying yeah. to, they have this idea that, um, I mean, you know, maybe the ladies would like this and, you know, everyone's giving their best shot. Could be that. Mm. It tends to be very similar though. Maybe it's just that blokes in general are quite unoriginal. <laughs> Not just German <laughs> blokes, but just like men Speak up for your people, species. Nick. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very aware of of the failings of the uh, the, the male community. Uh, um, yeah, I I always find the idea of like standing in front of a car a bit of a funny one because it's kind of like I'm an eligible bachelor with an independent income. Here is my automobile. You know, it seems a little bit too much. <laughs> like, I actually I got told by one chap. So on most dates, or when he first starts talking to women, the first question he gets is, where, uh, where do you work? And he was working in an Amazon factory at the time. And mm-hmm. he would say this and he'd never hear from the women again. Oh, right. Yeah, it's really bad, isn't it? Yes, yes. Maybe, I mean, I can imagine the, the whole money aspect, uh, social status. It's what people are looking for. <laughs> people, pe- I mean, the women look for it too. Yeah. The men try to cater to it the best that they can. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, I think you've just raised my anxiety levels about dating in Germany even further. I'm just like, oh God, I'm so glad I'm married. <laughs> I'm a lucky man. So one of your, the more poignant parts of your article was when you talked about like the racialized questions you received from potential suitors. Like, First off, I'm like, sorry, you had to listen to that shit. Secondly, were you surprised that the conversations went in that direction so quickly? I was very surprised because that's, uh, that's something that I hadn't encountered in relationships like with friends or with flirting with men. I, I hadn't really encountered so many direct questions mm. about like skin color and hair and people willing to say, I don't think you're Sri Lankan I mean where where are your parents from like yeah they're Sri Lankan too it's I actually started wondering if I'd led a quite a sheltered academic life uh, spending time at universities where people just ask Mm. differently Uh, the stereotyping is different Mm. I guess Mm. where people just don't talk about the physical characteristics of other people so much particularly face to face it it, I Mm. was quite uncomfortable with it I was thinking when I read that bit 
I think it's an element of like white people that they want to show how open they are. Oh, it's like that sort of thing in Germany where they sort of talk about like, oh, I'm colorblind. Like, oh, I don't see color or anything color. like that. Oh, yeah. Gosh. And I, I fucking, I hate that because it's like every person of color I know is like, I'm very aware of what <laughs> color I am. <laughs> like, I know that people aren't colorblind. So like, why the fuck are you saying it? Yeah. And so it did feel a bit like, oh, I'm totally, I'm totally okay with it. You know, I'm to- let's talk about it. Let's talk about it openly. And yeah. then just saying exactly the wrong thing. Just asking questions they shouldn't be asking, really. I don't know if what, what you think about well, that. Well, intention, but... Brigitte, do you mean? I think what you've honed in there, you have the people that, the white people that go, Oh, you know, I'm okay with everyone. I just don't see color. And you're like, really? Do you just see through me? Can you see the wall behind me? <laughs> or And then like, there's the other extreme of people who are very aware of the tensions and then go, yeah. you know, I'm totally okay with it. And let me crack a few jokes about the skin because that's how good friends we are. And that's a different extreme. Yeah. No one's comfortable with those people either. That's like left-wing racism, isn't it? It's <laughs> like... Uh... I don't know. Yeah, someone should really write some leaflets for these people. There is a bit of fetishization going on <laughs> when you're dating or when, when there is the prospect of dating and you know that's mm-hmm. why you're talking to other people online on a dating app. Mm-hmm. And then you bring up the, oh, I love the brown skin people. And then... That, oh, that's creepy. <laughs> and then that, that, that's very creepy. That's a... That's a yeah. Like one of the questions I used to hate, and and I'm sort of glad I never get asked it now, was like all the way through like Brexit, people would ask us, "What do you think about Brexit?" And I'm like, "I live in Germany and I'm married to a German woman. Like, what do you think? I think about Brexit. I wonder if it's the same thing when people would say like to a person of color, "So, what do you think of uh, Black Lives Matter?" And you're like, well, "What the fuck do you think? I think about it." <laughs> because you said Black Black Lives Matter. One thing on yeah. German dating apps is that there are many, I mean, um, I speak in English and I, and I usually say mm. that, got responses from a bunch of American soldiers stationed in Germany. And that is its own cluster. And so there were quite a few dates um, or, uh, where we discussed Black mm. Lives Matter and things happening in the US. And it was around that time. And I remember like mm. I had to... I was so slow in my eating mm-hmm. because I had because I my jaw was just it just dropped to the floor the whole time. No, yeah. how can you say that about George Floyd? No, he didn't do anything. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, there were quite a few arguments there. To say like you shouldn't like in the pub you shouldn't talk about which is I mean in the pub is where every British person pretty much meets their partners. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like go to the pub, you have a few drinks, you meet someone. It's how Simon met his wife. Um, I met my wife at university, which is just like one long pub crawl anyway. And like, and the rule is, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. So you like, you kind of avoid that stuff. But How I do think you now, not? Well, like, I mean, you wouldn't. I don't think I talked about politics with my wife. Actually, no. I think we just knew. I think we just didn't really talk about it. It was all about like partying and having a good time. It wasn't like I wasn't having any deep, meaningful like conversations about politics. But like now, like I mean when we started seeing each other more seriously we'd have long discussions about it but like that was once we'd sort of built up a relationship it wasn't in the first few weeks you know it was like oh this is how i feel about workers rights <laughs> you know? I see. Um, your article does end on a lighter note when you do seem to have found someone worth your time would you recommend dating online and dating apps to other people i would 
bored. I really bored. If what happened to me was I hadn't been dating for a very long time and um, at some point I assumed I, I wanted to get very brave and I did. And it was also during the pandemic and my experience with online dating was surprisingly short-lived because I did meet someone at some point and I hadn't been and we just deleted the apps and I haven't been back again. It's a very nice way of meeting, like casting a net over a wider range of just people. We meet people professionally, personally, and it depends on where we work, in what line of uh, work we are in. Yeah. I would just say that like online dating means that uh, you have the chance to meet uh, a bunch of people who are from different backgrounds that you may not have had the chance of meeting in real life different professions, people with very different interests uh, that you still get on with, that you still like. There's not always a romantic spark. And as in, like in Germany, you say you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and during Corona, you don't really want to kiss that many yeah. frogs. But you just meet a lot of people, even if there was nothing romantic going on. It was just nice to have a date, uh, just meet people oh. that you wouldn't have met otherwise, just to hear what their lives have been like. It's quite nice. Mm. Especially in Corona, when we're all like distanced. It was yeah. nice just to have a conversation with another human. So the, the last thing I'll ask you is, uh, do you have any memorable dates that, that you think are, are worth mentioning? Is there any stories from dates in the past that you're like, yeah, that was something that I'll never forget? I, I really should tell you this. And this stuck out for me because uh, I have always been fascinated by how, I mean, we speak different languages. We come from different backgrounds. We are very different people. And like just how, what exactly we think is communicated to another person and it's understood. Yeah to the same way we mean it to be, that to me has always been so fascinating. So there is this one date. It was uh, the Italian guy and um, mm -hmm. that I mentioned earlier. We went to a restaurant and it was during like uh, Corona. There was a table outside and he wanted to go inside and I assumed that he wanted to order the food. And I wanted mm -hmm. to go with him because I would have liked to order my own food. And he got up and he said something, and which I assumed to be the food ordering, and said, shall I come with you? And he seemed like really put off by it. He said, no. I was like, but really, are you really sure? And then he kind of like, okay, okay, if that's what, okay, okay, fine, we can do that. And just mm -hmm. the two reactions seemed very weird. And I was like, okay, so not really sure what's happening here, but I'll just let him do it. He mm. came back out a little later with two menus and I was like, oh, you went inside to get the menus. Ah, uh, okay, right. because I thought you were going to order the food and I wouldn't have wanted you to do that. And then he seemed even more relieved than I was. And he went, oh, oh, you, you thought that? I was like, why, what happened? No, I, 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 I was actually going to the loo and I thought, <laughs> I thought this was about public loo sex. I was like... Oh God, no! I think, but, but, but you said sure! You later said sure! Oh God! And he was red! He was red! Oh, no. That was a love. Oh. That was a gem of miscommunication and, and crossed wires. Different cultures, different people, different expectations. That was lovely. 
Yeah, I think I'm going red just at the thought. Uh, Dilly, this has been fantastic getting your experiences and like hearing something that isn't me and Simon blathering on about about our potential understanding of possibly what it maybe is like to have a date in Germany. Yeah, thanks for joining us and I look forward to you coming back on to talk about something else, uh, possibly a future article if it's if it's in the pipes. It is in the pipes and I will be sending it to you soon. Fantastic. It has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me here. Savus Leute. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I would like to add thanks to all our listeners for joining us over the last 30 or so weeks of podcasting. Simon and I have been in super secret discussions on how to move forward with the pod from here. So expect some exciting announcements over the next couple of weeks of ideas as we begin to make some cool changes and additions to the podcast. Before we leave your ears for another week, we usually have some Easter eggs at the end of the show. And since we've had some of our favorite segments in this episode, we've added some of our favorite end bits too. So listen out for those after the end music. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Well, you know, walk it till us listen that podcast like, and it was canny good. Proper belter. Reet. Well, I'm gunning yem new. Mind what you're doing. Das war Geordie. I have no idea if anyone is listening to these bits at the end of the podcast. Since no one mentions them, I assume I do them for my own enjoyment. Since Simon isn't here to police my swears, I can freely say all my favourite swear words in one go. Here goes. Thunder. Armchair. Knuckle. Grenade. Spherical. Waffle. Trumpet. Thingamaf. Leather faced. Jar. Guide. Bumper. And finally. Womble. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. I feel so better. Kebab shops are also the most likely place to find one of his natural wonders, Male Latina Ebrius Est, or Drunk English Male. All right there, boss. Yeah, good night, yeah, tight. He's stumbling and faintly disorientated due to the 12 pints he consumed earlier. But despite this, Drunk English Male can still manage to explain what he needs. Uh, give us a kebab and uh, none of that green shit. No, no, more meat. He's quite the specimen, and as is traditional, he refuses all roughage, knowing that only meat will quench his insatiable appetite. More meat, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Drunk English male stares angrily around the room. At any moment, this could turn ugly. <laughs> Thankfully, there was another reason for his uncertainty. God, no chilli. Chilli sauce, mate. Yes, yes, mate. Looking good. How much that, mate? How much? <sighs> Fucking hell. The keen observer will note the important ritual of complaining about the price, a sign that this male is asserting his dominance. All right, boss, there you go. But it's only for show. Mine, there you go. Have a good night. ta With his quarry safely secured, drunk English male heads off into the night. Godspeed, you pissed-up idiot.